And we're going to look at verses 20 through 21 in a message entitled, How the Kingdom Comes. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. Verse 20. Make sure everybody's there. Verse 20. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is the word of the Lord, and he will most certainly add his abundant, gracious, and magnified blessing to the reading of his holy truth, and let us pray. Our most blessed and beloved Father in God, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we come before you, Lord, and thank you for the uh, blessed privilege to worship you in song and in prayer and also in the word. We pray, Father, that also as we we worship you in fellowship today, that it would be uh, a blessing unto us, but more importantly, it will be a blessing because we're exalting Christ and the Heavenly Father that you're glorified. May all things be done so that Christ is exalted unto your glory. We pray that you'll open up the passage to our hearing ears, to our, to our reading eyes, but that our hearts would draw nearer to you and that you would reveal these truths to us for your glory. Forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord, as we, uh, and make us attentive to hear what you have to say for, to us and, and uh, for us. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, I haven't timed this message out, so it happens to run long. Apparently, someone here needs to, needs to hear something. And if you don't get something, then it's not for you. Remember, there's a lot of, uh, the body of Christ is made up of many members, and everyone needs to be fed. I don't preach to one person. Every single time I approach a Bible study, Sunday school, this started in scam and actually it started at my first church first filipino methodist church remember when i was called the first filipino methodist church i was a baptist but they wanted me as their pastor anyway and that's how it started i recognized that i needed uh, to be available to the lord to preach to everyone lord i don't want anyone to attend your table going away hungry everyone must get something and if there's something that you hear that you don't get, it wasn't for you. But having said that, here we see in verse 20, being asked of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, it should alert us, the kingdom of God, to the Lord's prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, most of us know that, where the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount taught, his, taught the disciples. He sat down and taught the disciples how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Later on in Luke 11, the disciples, seeing Jesus come out from prayer, they asked them, and seeing the power that comes from him as he's prayed, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray in Luke chapter 11. And then he teaches them not the exact words, but the very form of the same prayer. Now, people call it the Lord's Prayer, and for years I called it the Disciples' Prayer because this is the prayer that he taught his disciples. However, Jesus is God who became man, and as perfect man, this is the Lord's Prayer. 
Why? Because if Jesus never prayed this prayer, and he did, if Jesus never prayed this prayer, you and I couldn't pray this prayer. Because everything Jesus did as the perfect man went before us and even went after Adam because the power of the perfection of God who became man was such that we needed him to do everything that man could not. And so even the prayers that we pray are based upon the perfection of the prayers that he offered. Even praying on behalf of others because when he went to the cross... When he went to the cross as a sinful man, though he was sinless, every bit of repentance that you and I need to offer fell upon him as if he prayed all the prayers of penance in the Bible, in the Psalms, like David in Psalm 53, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, create in me a clean heart, O God. The only reason David could pen that, the only reason David could pray that is because A thousand years later, Jesus Christ would come and take that prayer for himself. And though he needed not to repent, he went to the cross. And so we see this Lord's Prayer was said so many times because we know that the Sermon on the Mount is just basically a stock sermon. uh, The Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6 has many elements that are the same because Jesus was an itinerant preacher. And when he went preaching, he pretty much preached basically the same things. I've preached this message somewhat before, but I preach it differently because I pray for the congregation I happen to be preaching for Jesus. I believe that that's what Jesus did. And so here are these guys keyed in, these Pharisees keyed in on this. And Jesus answers them, the kingdom of God is, is not coming in ways that you can observe. Because the Jews, we're told, and you can turn there if you want, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, keep your place in Luke, because we'll be turning back and forth there. And I'm, I'm keeping my time so I don't get over. Get over what? I don't know. We, <laughs> you won't have to be late to the table. It's already set before us. And hardly anyone... Touched the donuts. Somebody did. Because they were hard to get to. I put them in the wrong place. So that I couldn't get to them. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22. For all you Bible teachers, make sure that you stop hearing the leaves turn. That that means everybody is there. Or if you want to just write it down in 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 your... handout in your bulletin that space there that's provided you could look it up later and search the scriptures make sure that what i'm saying is true be as the uh, bereans first first corinthians chapter uh chapter 1 verse 22 says um for the jews for jews demand signs and greeks seek wisdom And then Paul says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly or foolishness to the Gentiles or foolishness to the Greeks. They were looking for signs. Now, you don't have to turn there. Write this one down. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 40. Most most people know this particular portion of scripture that at a particular point in Jesus' ministry, almost coinciding with this point here, with this uh, point in time, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, 
they, uh, the, some, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Well, they wanted to see a sign all the way from the beginning. In John chapter 2, when he turned over the money changers, because he did that every single time he went into, the, I believe, he went in every single time he went into the temple. He turned over the money changers. Shows you the depravity. It was at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, and probably all through his ministry, every time he's in Jerusalem, he turned them over and they just set them up again. Everything is about money for them. But they said, show us a sign that you have authority to do this. They're in the signs. So at this one place, uh, some scribes and Pharisees uh, went to Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Yes, standing in front of them was God who became man. But the Jews seek after a sign. Jews still seek after a sign. Signs are big to them. Signs are important to them. They want to be sure that it's coming from God because they think on Moses, they think on Elijah. But when Jesus brings all these signs, Jesus is standing right in front of them. He tells them in Luke chapter 17, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold, the kingdom of God is for behold, he says, for behold, for lo, right here. He says, it's not look, there it is in verse 21 of Luke 17. Look, here it is, or there. He says, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And if you have a King James Version, I know it says within you. And I know that it'll be, um, it says within you, but we'll get to that point in just a moment that the kingdom of God is within you. Because it could be translated either way as far as from the Greek. I didn't actually bring my Greek New Testament uh, so I couldn't re look it up again to make sure. So you guys will have to keep me on my toes on that one. But recognize this. These men were in the scriptures. The Pharisees were the back to the Bible movement. They were be what we would call in the 50s and 60s the sovereign grace movement that was resurging in the South. In the south. Coming back to understand we want to see the scriptures for what God intended them to be. And the Pharisees did that 100 years before Christ. That's what they were. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to what is scripture. And Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. Jesus was only saying the same thing he said uh, that God said in Psalm chapter 40, verse 7 and 8. He says, I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version because I'll end up quoting it from the King James if I, or, or twisting the King James, if you will, because I'll get parts of this in it. Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, he says, Then said, Behold, or lo in the King James Version, then I, then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That could only be fulfilled of Jesus Christ. David penned the psalm, but it wasn't about David. It was about the Christ to come. And as Jesus is standing in the midst of them, 
He says, behold, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's right there. Jesus is the kingdom of God. Just as Jesus is the gospel, Jesus is the kingdom of God. And he's in the midst of them, standing right before them. And the scriptures that speak of Jesus, the Messiah to come, the glory of it was so bright that they were blinded by it. That's why they couldn't see Jesus in it. They attempted to do the works of the law from the scriptures, but when the kingdom of God and the fulfillment of the law was standing right in front of them, it blinded them so that all they could see was their good works from the law. They were overlooking Jesus, as verse 21 tells us. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is right in front of you. Jesus is the kingdom of God, standing right in front of them. And they didn't recognize that right deeds, because these guys tried to keep the letter of the law. Jesus will say that later on after his triumphal entry in Matthew. He says that you will strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Now that's a strange expression for many of us, but what these Jews were doing was that they would gag themselves if a fly or a mosquito, a mosquito that would have blood in it, fly into their mouth as they were walking, and then they try to choke it out of themselves to regurgitate it because that blood that was in there would have been unclean. They don't want to be defiled. And yet they take a whole unclean animal. Jesus says that the works that they're doing is as if they were eating a camel which is an unclean animal. They didn't recognize that their right deeds without a right heart means nothing. The regeneration is needed. Ezekiel 36 must be fulfilled. It says, I will put into you a new heart and a new spirit. I will take out of you a heart of stone and put into a heart of flesh. And I will write the law on the tables or tablets of your heart. Ezekiel 36 says... So they missed it. But then Jesus turns around, and even though we're looking at verses 20 and 21 in particular, we get our context again from verses 22 to 37. And, and they're listening on, I'm sure, as he turns to his disciples and says to them in verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Now, see, even Jesus understands when they were saying, when they were talking about the kingdom to come, they're talking about Jesus' second coming, when what his kingdom will look like. And so Jesus says this to his disciples in their hearing, that they will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look, there. Or look here, same thing that he just told the Pharisees. You want to see it. It doesn't come as you observe. You're looking for somebody to tell you, there it is, or there it is, or this is what it looks like. It's shaped like this, and you can carry it in your pocket. It's, It's not like that. Do not go out or follow them, Jesus says in verse 23. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. First he must suffer many things. What is he talking about there? Of course he's talking about the cross. Because this is the whole intent of why Jesus came. 
He was born as a babe, as a virgin, so that he is flesh and bone like we are, but he is perfect humanity because he didn't have the progeny that descended from man to man, from Adam all the way down to Joseph, his father. He was conceived by his heavenly father through the Holy Spirit. So that as a man, fully man and fully God, God becoming man, he'd walk the perfect righteous life that you and I can't. Fulfilling everything. Fulfilling the great commandment that says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. With every single moment of every single day in thought, word, and deed, with every breath, Because no other man can do that. There's not a a moment of neutrality would be a moment of offense to God because his holiness demands that his creation give him every bit of attention. But Christ did everything for the glory of his holy holy father, for his heavenly father. And therefore, the heavenly father says that you believe upon his faithfulness as a man. You believe on the truth that he is God in human flesh, but also the representation of man, the representative of man, and the substitute for man, and that you will have life in his name. Because this righteous man, living that righteous life, went and laid down his life, suffered God's wrath for sins he did not commit, for sins that you and I owe, as that that, uh, portion of the hymn we like to sing, By anonymous, he paid a debt he did not owe. We owe a debt we could not pay. That he died a death that we who are dead in trespasses and sins may have life in his name. He bore the iniquities, our sins. He bore them on himself as if they were his. He shed his blood after his death when the spear pierced his side and blood and water came forth was buried for three days and three nights, as we read in Matthew chapter 12. Yes, three days and three nights. It wouldn't make it Friday. And he rose again, ascended into heaven with the promise of coming again. And believing on that, that is a supernatural act, because it's not natural to believe in that and trust in that and walk according to that. Because the devils believe, James chapter 2 says, you believe in one God, You do well. The devils believe and tremble. They've seen Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. They have seen the glory of God and a third of them fell away with Satan's rebellion. They know who he is. Demon-possessed men rushed up to worship Jesus. We know who you are, Jesus, son of David. Have you come to torment us before the time? Because they knew who he was, but that didn't sound like a confession of salvation, did it? And that went on over and over again to show that it was no different from these Pharisees who had the scriptures, who did good, and Jesus standing in front of them. But as Jesus continues, he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, 
They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, so will it be on, on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So that day, let the, uh, so, or excuse me, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve, verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 37, and they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, since we only have, I'm not leaving until Tuesday afternoon. Oh, there's the clock. I'm not leaving until Tuesday afternoon. And to cover every one of those verses, I might need just about that time. I, I need to be at the airport like an hour before. <laughs> so I'm not going to cover all those verses. I'm not going to cover Yeah, if it's, it's not for you. If, you. if I said something you didn't get, it's not for you. <laughs> We're not going to cover all those verses. What we want to do is, is, is tackle something that is typically overlooked because much of what he's saying is about when he does come again. He spoke of the cross in that verse that I just expounded upon, verse, uh, verse 25. But first, he must suffer these things, speaking of the Messiah. And everyone wants to concentrate upon when Jesus is coming. And I'll tell you a trick about that. Why you won't be caught off guard if you're saved by God's grace. Not a single child of God should be caught off guard at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be a blessing for you. And uh, it'll make sense to you when I tell you. So as the disciples are immediately told about these future events... Uh, what we dig out of this is from the conversation that he just had with the Pharisees. Look, they're looking for observation. They want to be told what the kingdom of God is looking like and how it comes and how I could recognize it. They're expecting someone to just take the kingdom of God and say, hey, here's the model of it and here's the building blocks for it. And so he provides it for the future. And I think that this is going on now. See, that verse that we looked at before in 1 Corinthians, and you don't have to turn there because I read the whole thing, and in fact, I even read verses, uh, verse 23 a part, uh, as a part of that. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks, non-Jews, seek wisdom. Jews demand signs, but Greeks seek wisdom. See, today there are men, preachers even, and, I'm, and, and different from the Pharisees, though, I'm not saying that these men aren't saved. I say they have a confession of faith, but they're becoming just as blinded by Scripture. Where it says, where Jesus himself said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. I believe that everything in the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, is about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. It might not be so obvious, or it may be a passage that needs to be read in, in first in its, in its context and its intent, but also in its gospel power, 
Why is it there? Did God just do it willy-nilly because that's how silly humans are? No, it was placed there because God is powerful, God is sovereign, and he brings it along so that we can see how his hand is upon everything to bring about his son, born of a virgin, and going to a cross for the sake of God the Father's glory. And if he has done that for all of eternity, for that one moment, for everyone he's saved by grace, his hand is upon our lives in every single detail, just as it was upon Jesus's life as a man, just as it ministered the gospel for him to fulfill. Now his gospel is fulfilled also in us. The light of the glory of God is blinding And it's frightening to those who are not willing to trust by faith in this Savior. And after we eat there, I'm going to actually take another two verses, just two verses uh, from Luke chapter 17 to look at the faith of a grain of mustard seed. That might tie in to understand how we walk by this faith. How amazing it is and how consistent and faithful God is every day. Every single time. I mean, I'm here because of that. I had not two pennies to rub together. And in fact, my last month's electric bill, Lisa and I were going, oh no. We we tried to save on the propane and my last month's electric bill was $400. Right after paying for a $475 propane bill and a $350 diesel bill. And then they dropped three feet of snow on us. And I, thankfully, Lisa went down to San Diego and being the penny pincher that I am, I started wearing a coat inside. I wear a Hawaiian shirt to church. I wear a Hawaiian shirt. I I get out of the vehicle, get out of the van, and then I walk 25 yards into the church in a Hawaiian shirt. But I go to my own house and I put on a jacket. Because I'm pinching them pennies. Like like in Scrooge, put another coal in that... Fire, Bob Cratchit, before you dot another eye. <laughs> I was turning in this, yeah, the Scrooge there. Greek, but men are blinded by it because it's a fearful thing to trust in God. And if the men that are preaching God's word or they're not standing before you as an example to trust in Christ, to love, to love that Christ love us, loved us and forgave us, that we would trust Him. And trust that he's in this book. In these scriptures, we overlook Christ. But he will be revealed. Just as it says in verse 30 where he says that one day so will it be. In verse 30 of Luke 17, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He brings to us a word there that there will be an ultimate revelation. But the truth is that until that day, there is a continued revelation. Just as he stood before the Pharisees, he stands before every man, and much more powerfully, much more powerfully than when he walked the shores of Galilee, much more powerfully than when he stood in the city of Jerusalem, much more powerfully as he stood before these Pharisees. Because being crucified, And then resurrected and then ascended into heaven, sending the Holy Spirit. You can't divorce the Father from the Son or the Son 
from the Spirit, and so that the Spirit's permanent indwelling is promised by Jesus, as prophesied by John the Baptist, that it would be the Spirit of Christ in us. Here again today, we have this, we have right doctrine without a righteous heart, and it means nothing. That we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's in theology, but we're walking as if Jesus is still on the throne, but not active within my life, within your life. Or preaching as such to say, Christ is in you and is not going to forsake you. And that, if you want to talk about trying to now attempting to live a holy life as best a sinner saved by grace is able, with that reality, whoa, it's not that God is just beside me. Like some people like to poke fun of, is anybody sitting in that chair? Just the Lord, and they make fun of it. No, the Lord is right here in me. The Lord is in you. The Lord Jesus. Right doctrine again. Yes, they may be saved, but they've created idols of the doctrine, which in turn gives way to confidence in our good works. Now, good works should come, spring forth from the truth of the gospel. But see, by not identifying Christ from the scriptures and not seeing Christ in ourselves, we have a fallback plan. Well, see, we have these things now where I'm obedient to the word. And then we hang our theology and we hang our faith on what I've done rather than on what Christ has done. Mark my words, if you go back and you start hearing some sermons from some folks that at first started moving slightly away from, no, no, Christ wasn't there. That was just, uh, that was, that was kind of a picture and a lesson for us building up to Christ, but Christ wasn't there. When you start hearing that, from men saying that, they're starting to build an idol of doctrine. First John chapter 5, verse 21, at the very end of that blessed letter that John writes, that epistle, at the very end of it, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols because idolatry is the root of all sin. Pride is self-idolatry. And adultery or, or uncleanness, it's perverse idolatry. It's taking something God has created for good and using it for something other than what God intended it for. Idolatry is the key to all sins. That's why it's the second commandment. We are to love the Lord our God. We, uh, we were to have no other gods before us. First commandment. The very second one the mo- is the one that tells you which, what is the root of all sin. Do not Create idols or worship them. Second commandment. So now how, how does the kingdom come? How do we put this together? As we see that today there, is, there, there will be an apostasy. But there will be a drawing near at the very same time. How will it be? Well, men will fall away from, looking, from seeing Christ in all things. Uh, they'll just see Christ in some things. Or that Christ did this for us, but we're moving on. The cross, is, the cross is great, it saved me, but you know I need to move on. To, you can't move on from the cross. That's why we preach the gospel every time that we come together. Every time We mention at least, talk about the cross, talk about Christ's suffering, because every time we depart from that, that's where we fail. And we need to be encouraged always, every time we gather. 
At least every time we gather, if not every time we meet. That's how important the cross is. How does it come? It comes by supernatural revelation. If you want to, I'm going to have you turn to it just a couple pages as we close this out. Yeah, you thought I was going to preach a long message. I'm not even hungry because I've been having stomach problems. (laughs) Nervous coming here to back to Alabama. My stomach was already rejecting the fried food. <laughs> no, no. What do you mean this salmon is from Argentina, Argentina or Chile? Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Remember, everything of the gospel is by, for, for the child of God to be saved and to be sanctified is by supernatural revelation. You couldn't just come up with it. Most of you, some of you who are new to, fairly new to Christ within the last couple of years, you can think back and say, you know, I heard exactly what he, what he said, what, 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 the, what the preachers were saying to me. I heard exactly what that was. I heard that Jesus was God who became man. I heard that he went to the cross, but I just didn't get it because it must come by supernatural revelation. Matthew chapter 16, remember that when Jesus, he talked to his disciples. He said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They got to that point in his ministry about halfway through, about a year and a half, two years into his ministry. He says to them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He was at Caesarea Philippi. And um, in verse 14, some say John the Baptist. They gave him the answer. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said, but whom do you say? But who do you say that I am? In verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But Blessed are you, verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, that hasn't changed. For Christ to be revealed to any man, woman or child, it must be the Heavenly Father through the Spirit. It has been that way since the beginning. Uh, Brother Sean was mentioning that in the garden. In Sunday school today, he was talking about in the garden when as soon as Adam sinned and he went into the trees, after he'd made aprons of fig leaves for him and his wife, he didn't go running for God. It needed to be revealed to him. And the voice of God, as he heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day, he hid out from God as if he could hide from God. And when God said, where art thou? Where are you? It wasn't for God's sake because he didn't know where he was. God knew where he was. It was for Adam's sake because he, Adam, had broken fellowship with God through his disobedience and need revelation. He needed God speaking to him. Where are you? He needed to take account to who he was and where he was. He was in the trees rather than out seeking after God because he won't seek after God unless God reveals himself to him always has always will it's supernatural we must see christ in scripture to overcome the proclivities and perversions of the flesh 
I just wanted to use that word proclivities. I've never used it before. <laughs> proclivities. It just sounds good coming off the tongue without spitting even. Proclivities. It means that our tendencies, our tendencies and our perversions. In other words, the Bible calls it the weakness of the flesh. Remember, if you turn a little, a few pages to Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 to 41, when, when Jesus is praying in the garden, Jesus is praying in the garden. The night that he's betrayed, just before he's arrested, he's already had his last supper, his last Passover meal with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, right? And in, in verses 40, I'll wait till you're there. Jesus is praying. And in fact, in verse 39, you know, he brings with him three of the disciples to be close with him as he prays. He leaves the others and he brings Peter, James, and John. And they come. And in verse 30, verse 39, he goes a, a little further because his soul is sorrowful unto death because he's going to go to the cross. He knows where he's going. He knows the scriptures. And he, and he falls down on his face. In verse 39, he says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Remember, Jesus must pray this prayer. It's not like, you know, he's not scared that he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to the cross. But as perfect man, he can't rush headlong into death. He's the Lord of light and the Lord of life. He needs the Heavenly Father's permission to go. And so that he prays this prayer. He must do so because him, for not, him not to do so would be a sin. He can't just run headlong into death. That's what Adam did when he disobeyed. He rushed headlong into death. So for him to pray that prayer, and he prays, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not my will but thine. Verse 40, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the proclivities and perversions of the flesh. The flesh is weak. It, it wants to overcome anything that is spiritual because the flesh hates the flesh hates the gospel. The world hates Jesus Christ. The flesh opposes the things of God. And so, with this, we must see Christ in the scriptures. We must surrender to the very real presence of Christ also. We need to, see, we need to uh, you know, in our prayers, when we're looking at the scriptures, we need to ask, Lord, where... How are you exalted in this? And how does that benefit me because you're exalted? But see, often we seek the benefit before we seek the exaltation. The priority is Christ's exaltation so that the Father is glorified. Often we go out and evangelize because I want to appease my guilt. That if I go out there, this is what I do. But I should be going out so that the Father is glorified. There's one more soul that can praise him and worship him because he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of worship. Now, if that is going on in my life because the way that he is praised and worshiped is because Christ is exalted and now I go forth to evangelize when I share the gospel. It's so Christ is exalted and the Father is glorified. Not to appease my guilt. I don't need my benefit to be overriding. So we must surrender to the very real presence of Christ in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 28. Just a few pages away, very last verse, verse 20. 
Many of you know this. In fact, Brother Sean was... Are you looking at my notes, Brother? For your Sunday school lesson? You must have a pipeline to the Lord then because um, I didn't finish these notes up until this morning. Or last night or something like that. I wrote them out by hand. I didn't type them. Um, Matthew 28, verse, uh, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, all authority in heaven and earth, uh, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, in verse 18, has been given to me, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is the part, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a promise that Jesus gives us, and a very sobering one indeed. He is standing with me, and, and this is why... In one sense, I'm fearful because I don't know how it is with your hearts. But I do know that if God has saved you by his grace, he's going to minister to you how you need to be ministered to. And so in that, I rejoice. I know that it requires Jesus to tell you what it is that you need. And so when I know that every time I come to a pulpit to preach that I'm going to fail, But that's all right. I just need to be faithful to preach it. I won't preach everything that needs to be out there. Some of the best messages I've preached for folks for their benefit was something I didn't even say. Man, that was the best message I ever heard, Brother John. What did you like best about it? Oh, this, this, and this. I didn't even preach a single word of this, this, and this. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit knew what they needed. And Jesus ministered. We need to see Christ in Scripture we need the in, we see, need to see the indwelling of others. And if we're not seeing Christ in Scripture, how are we going to see Christ in others? When I see you, I see the truth that God wants to spend eternity with you. I mean, we rejoice because He saved us so that we could spend eternity with Him because that's what heaven is all about. But if He saved you by His grace, He wants to take your life and have your life as his possession to spend it with you for all eternity. And that is a, 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 a thought that makes me tremble even now with joy. And so when I see others, I see that if you have a confession of faith, I see Christ, how Christ is ministering to you and through you and, and that joy that you're Christ's. And it makes my fellowship with you that much dearer nearer but if i don't see christ in scripture i'm not going to see that and the more i see christ in scripture i've already traveled thousands of miles away and several hours away or several months away many hours because i've known you for hours many of you and now i've come back and it feels like my relationship with you is even closer even though i've gone away Why? Because I'm growing in grace and I'm seeing Christ more in your life because I'm seeing Christ more in the scriptures as I grow. And then when I see someone who's unsaved, brother, I'll I'll go ahead and spill the beans because brother asked about in Sunday school, when was the last time you shared the gospel? When I was up at Wildcat Pond getting this haircut next door. Wow. And then coming back and Joe... And, well, I won't say his name, but he was there at the Wildcat Pond, and, and I got to share the gospel there. And I said, if that's how, if that's how it was, if, that's what you, if, if, this, 
if this was real to you, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I went through the gospel in about 15 minutes with him, then, then, then that might be what, that, then your confession may be true. If we don't, if we don't trust entirely on Christ, we will give more value to our fleshly works or our worldly wisdom. But if we start seeing Christ in Scripture, we'll see Christ in others, and then we'll see the potential of Christ in those who are unsaved. Is there a danger to doing this? Yes. Being Christocentric? Because they say, well, you know, it doesn't directly say that Jesus is there. That's dangerous ground. Well, you know what? It was dangerous ground for Martin Luther in the Reformation to put the Bible into a language that people could read it because they will all of a sudden make up doctrines that will cause for people to believe all kinds of crazy things. Start handling snakes up here in Stone Mountain. They will do it. But it's better to have the Word of God. And it's better to hear the truth. And I'd rather err in exalting Christ than to be safe and miss him or dismiss him. We, we must see Christ's kingdom in the scriptures and in life, or else we will be prone to sin in worldly thought and fleshly strife. Let's pray. Our most blessed and gracious Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we come before you, Lord, and thank you for the privilege of bringing us your Son, Jesus Christ, and providing us his precious words that we may reflect upon them and grow in them and exalt him for them so that, Heavenly Father, you may be glorified. We thank you for this time. We pray for your blessing upon the food as we have fellowship uh, this afternoon and also for the, for the afternoon service. I pray, Father, that we, uh, that, uh, that we don't get too tired from overeating, that we be filled with the word and filled with the spirit and really filled with the Spirit of Christ. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we do pray. Amen.